Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matter. All right, all right. Welcome, everyone. It's the middle middle of September already. How does this happen? time for it doesn't seem like it should be we're headed squarely into pumpkin spice latte season <laughs> yeah have you had one there's yet? No, not quite yet but there's, <laughs> Jim, come there's on. nothing quite wrong with that either is there nope. it's i think a pumpkin spice latte is good any time of the year <laughs> yeah doesn't exactly float my boat but yeah you know yeah. it's strange my wife doesn't like them either and usually she likes all that that you don't like fall flavored drink. Really, should you do the gingerbread thing at Christmas. Gingerbread sure. lattes. Oh yeah, yeah, those are tasty, right? Mm-hmm. Eggnog latte, especially if you spike it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, how are you today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. We haven't seen each other in a couple of weeks. We've been in reruns, right? And uh, yeah. but here we are in the yeah. flesh. We got Dan back too. Yeah, Dan, little little darker than the Hawaii thing. I think kind of darkened him up a little bit. Yeah, a I little brought, sun. Brought back some. I brought back the humidity at first. Yeah, that kind of first couple days. Yeah, it followed yeah. me back. Get off the plane, it's 115 degrees <clears> in <throat> casseroles. Well, <laughs> well, I flew into that thunder and lightning storm on uh, what was it Sunday night? Yeah, Sunday late night. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a fun little way to arrive. And then yeah, the next couple of days were pretty. Pretty uncomfortable around here in Morro Bay and yeah, all around the county. Didn't Morro Bay actually see like 100 degrees? Um, was- you know, I heard about a heat wave while I was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so It was 118 at my house. Jeez. 115 in Paso. Wow. Here at the studio, and actually, thank you for air conditioning that was working. <laughs> yeah. It was 114 in San Luis that oh one Saturday gosh. that you guys were gone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because I had to sit here and kind of babysit. Well, it just might be behind us, though. I mm-hmm. mean, looking out at the weather this week, San Luis Obispo hits 80 on Tuesday and Wednesday, and the rest, uh, well, Sunday and Monday are next week, right? Eight, nine days away, we're 84, 88. Mm-hmm. So maybe it goes back up a little bit, but I'm starting to feel like maybe it's getting folly, right? Some fall weather. Yeah, it's good. It's feeling like it's it. I'm it's ready good. for that. I am. Um, Ready for some fall weather. Miss mm. the rain again, too. Yeah. Although we did have uh-huh. a couple really bizarre, like, monsoon rain showers in the North yeah, County last crazy, week. Huh? Yeah, crazy, huh? Yeah. And what John Lindsay is saying, like, we're going to, I think we're going to have more kind of rain this year, too. So, Oh, good. From what I understand. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good. So that's good. Yeah. Now he's going to call and say, no, no, I can't. <laughs> but, yeah, I think he did. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what the kind of thing is that we're supposed to have a wetter winner this year Perfect. i hope so yeah hope it's not just wishful thinking mm-hmm. 
Like so, every time football season rolls around, I'm like, this is the year the Niners are going to start doing good again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought the Niners' slogan was San Francisco 49ers. It's a rebuild year. <laughs> no? It's only been the last couple of years. Yeah, okay. a little plug for you know, we're, we're we were in a Super Bowl just like three, four years ago. Yeah, you know, the, we are actually running high school football on KVC on Friday nights too. Oh, really? Yeah, just a little plug for any uh, team in particular. I think it's Royal Grandy on KVC, and then uh, KJUG down the hall has um, either Paso or Tascadero. Awesome. Tascadero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a Tascadero. Right yeah. So, yeah. so it's actually kind of cool. Uh, you know, more local stuff. Yeah. Here. Yeah, that is cool. My son's finally playing football. He's playing for the junior varsity team in Tascadero. Yeah, good. So we've been doing that. Drove over to Bakersfield last night and the week before. So that's a fun little thing. We're <laughs> done with the Bakersfield Friday night trips now. Oh, okay. Um, Next week's a home game for you, right? Yeah. So that'll be fun. It's, cool. it's been a good time, though. Something to do again on Friday night. Yeah, it's fun. Watch some football. There's something about you know listening to the radio and listening to football, too. Right. It's kind of fun. I like sports on the radio. Mm-hmm. I really like... Yeah, yeah I listen to baseball on the radio. Works good because radio's theater to the mind. Yeah. Mm. So, Indeed. You can imagine how good all of us look in this building here right, right now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> How much real estate research did you do in Hawaii? Um, What's the economy like? What's going on (laughs) over there? Um, The beaches are doing really well. Right, yeah. I mean, the weather's amazing. The beaches are beautiful. There's lots of of rain, lots of sun. Um, Yeah, it was really nice. It was my first trip uh, to any of the Hawaiian islands. So we were on Kauai. Um, Of course, I was got quickly... um, interested in the economics of the Airbnb um, economy over there because we were staying in an Airbnb. It's a pretty nice house, had about uh, six bedrooms. The guy was, you know, who owned the home, he was charging, you know, let's just ballpark it at about a thousand bucks a night. So, you know, that's a pretty penny that he's (laughs) making there on that deal. We looked it up. It was, you know, getting up to be about a $2 million house. So, but I, he had owned it for a while, so I highly doubt he acquired it for that. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just there's there's an opportunity there if you're uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing. the The real estate's expensive, obviously. The closer you are to the water, did you see lots of homes for sale? I did. I actually did see a lot of homes for sale. And at one point, we were even commenting that, "Gosh, that doesn't seem." like a good thing necessarily, but I also imagine the marketing times are a lot longer there. Um, especially, you know, being in more of the, um, the touristy type communities. I don't know how often those properties change hands and the prices. I mean, it's not cheap with the prices being so high. It's going to take special buyers. Right. And at the same time, you got to wonder too, how many of those people that did that sort of speculatively, um, you, maybe you did it six or eight years ago. And even if you have done okay with the rental market, if the properties have gone up so much in value, then maybe why not throw it on the market at the top end and just see. Sure. Um, although I got to imagine it would be difficult to sell your Hawaiian investment property. If you're, if, if all is going well and you're just like, well, I could put the money in the bank. 
You know what I mean? It would kind of be like, well, it's a we can go there once a year for a week, and then you know it carries itself the rest of the time. Yeah, I I couldn't help but go through that same arithmetic um, when I was there because. I mean, I know how much it costs to finance real estate. The one thing I I would readily admit is that I don't understand the maintenance costs of a Hawaiian property. Right. The you know some of the utilities are different. Electrical costs can be. I a heard electricity lot is very expensive. And so you then additionally the weather there. You know, it's humid. It's it's hot. It's windy. It's wet. So you there's probably a, a bit more maintenance costs for a property there. So you, those things you'd have to understand and be able to budget for appropriately, of course. But in terms of looking at the property, the taxes, the insurance, and those kind of things, man, he's, like you're describing, a thousand bucks a night, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so if you've got that, to rent it out full time, I mean, you can make thirty thousand dollars a month on a on a house like that. I that, mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and. And first of all, I mean, you need to be able to qualify to buy and then borrow and buy a $2 million house. And um, that's always an interesting rub is oftentimes people don't realize when they're buying investment property that there's some there's some standard you need to be able to qualify for on your own. You know, you're when we look at properties that people people come in you know say for example you want to buy an investment property in slow and this isn't this isn't a far-fetched dream these we have people that their houses um, they've had it for a while the payments very manageable they've got good income they've got some savings and they start thinking you know the the only other thing I could really do I'm saving into my retirement I'm doing some stock investments and everything's moving along well what else could you really do to move the needle kind of change your financial outlook over the course of the next 15 20 30 years so people say well maybe i should buy one of these investment properties in san Luis, right next to the college where you get a thousand bucks a bedroom and rent a month um not a bad game plan Mm -hmm. when we go to qualify that person um it's not enough that you're going to get rent you know, you got to be able to qualify based on your household, your debt, any of your expenses that go into the qualification. And then generally speaking, we're going to let you count about 75% of whatever the market rents would be. There's So there, that 25% is ultimately a, a vacancy and a maintenance factor. Um, once you've owned rental property for a couple of years, then you could use the actual cash flow of the property. But oftentimes when you first get in to buy one of those things, you'd be lucky unless you have a really, really big down payment. You're oftentimes your goal is almost, well, I'm going to put $200,000 down and the rent is going to equal the mortgage payment. So yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to be dollars ahead today, but it's a more long term play. And yeah, I know there are markets out there where you with that big of a down payment, you would be able to get positive cash flow right out of the gate. That's not really the case in Slow County. Almost anywhere in our county, if you're looking for investment property, you're going to put a sizable down payment and you're going to be hoping to break that thing even in the first couple of years. Tax wise on your on your um, personal income taxes you probably be dollars ahead. You're going to have some of those write-offs and expenses and depreciations of that property. That even though it's breaking even, it might be lowering your tax liability enough that that's where the justification comes for those first few years. 
whole different ball game when you walk in and say, I'm going to buy a house where I want to do transit rental. I want to do uh, overnight rental, bed and breakfast, Airbnb, VRBO, not not getting a lease. Um, no no lender right now really wants to touch that. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. It's kind of a... I, I expect that might change in the coming years with the popularity of these, you know, Airbnb type of properties. But, um, you know, I I don't know of a way that you do that where somebody says, okay, it's my desire. I'm going to put 50% down and I'm going to do Airbnb. And then here's the budget for it. I anticipate 30% occupancy at $400 average per night. This is the rent that we're going to offset with. We would not count that like in any way, shape, or form, that person would need to have enough personal income to qualify to satisfy the entire debt service of the loan, um, insurance, taxes, you know, the the property that they're seeking. They need to be able to cover personally, not with cash flow of the property. And now you're talking about you kind of – you almost need to be something special when you're – you're going to fully qualify for not only the house you you own as your primary residence, but now you're going to fully qualify for a whole nother house without the benefit of having rent to offset expense. All right, so let me let me ask you this: um, Airbnb doesn't you can't look up an address on Airbnb. So if someone brings you their tax returns and they have a Schedule E with their rental properties listed, and they you see they have rents received, you see that they have you know, their expenses that they've tied to that property and they've got their P&L for each of their rental properties. How would an underwriter even know that that home is, the the rental income generated on that home is coming from Airbnb versus a long-term rental? Two things. I mean, to answer your question simply, one of the giveaways is generally that there's a really exorbitant cleaning fee that's being written off. Okay. So we see that as the cleaning fee, your property rents for $40,000 in the year. Okay, that's pretty normal. But the cleaning fee is $6,000. You don't have a move-in, move-out cleaning fee of 6000 bucks that's occurring in every year. So that's a that generally s- suggests that you've got somebody, you know, is doing one of those transit occupancy type of rentals. But I want to but I want to go back to your original question what I would what I would suggest in that case is you're describing something slightly different in as much as if you have Airbnb properties on your tax returns, you've got a two-year period of having stable rents, and those properties then are being properly managed as Airbnb. Now we're talking about tangible cash flow. I understand Now I have confidence and I understand you actually have an ability to manage this property, okay. and that cash flow would count. I see. A lot of lenders, a lot of investors that we work with don't want to do a loan on that subject property. Right. So if you come in for a refi and all it is is Airbnb and it's kind of evident you have two year history of it and it's doing well, it's still a freaky thing because, you know, and and, and people generally get pretty upset about this. And I have a few borrowers that have been doing Airbnb for a few years. Um, and, you know, one of the things they don't understand, I don't understand the logic of why you don't want to accept this. Well, here's the deal. You know, we were we were salivating over this math a minute ago. Thousand bucks a night, right? <laughs> thirty nights in a month, thirty thousand dollars a month. Do that for twelve months. That's three hundred sixty thousand bucks. But that's not the reality for most no, rentals. It's not. And so maybe your maybe your peak season's a thousand bucks a night, and maybe your off peak is only four hundred bucks a night. And then, you know, does your place 
in the off peak, does it even rent Monday through Friday? Uh, oftentimes, no. it's just a weekend rental, long it's weekends. A, yeah, long weekends. People want to rent for Christmas or they want to rent for Labor Day, whatever. So there's there's definitely, depending on what market you're in, if you're in a ski slope market, you know, they, November to March are your bread and butter, but you might not have that much business in August. So that it's all of those those things that make it difficult for you can't just make those big, broad projections. And then here's the scariest thing. As a lender with an underwriter hat on right now and a guy that wants to manage risk really well, you know, what happens if the local city or county or whatever comes out and says, you know what, the Airbnb thing's a problem and we can't do it anymore. And we see that kind of stuff is happening. Um, it happened in San Luis. We had people start doing Airbnb and it was kind of unregulated. Well, here's the problem with Airbnb. We zone for hotels. Hotels got in and outs all night. You know, they've got people that come and they stand out on the back patio and they're too loud until midnight. So guess what? That's why it's kind of off the side of the freeway, and it's next to a couple of other businesses that are closed that's not in a neighborhood. Right. So you go throw your Airbnb in a neighborhood right next to Cal Poly, and you know there's families living all around it and students living all around it. It's Labor Day weekend. These people show up, and they're all of a sudden, they're out on the back porch until 3 in the morning. They're on vacation. They're yeah. having fun. They're barbecuing. They're laughing. They're making cocktails. And, and you're going, hey, this is a residential neighborhood. Yeah. So those mixes get tough. And then so finally the city has to say, okay, you know what? We need to address this. And this is how we're going to address it. Yeah, we're going to disallow it in these places. We're going to make permits. You know, there's a finite amount of it. We need to collect the taxes. You know, there's all of these things. And then, you know, those those are the things that make it really challenging. And so we've definitely seen markets where where a city or county has pulled the plug entirely in a specific area or neighborhood or whatever. And so now what if I give you a loan based on, okay, well, we did, we, you're right. We went conservative. We only did 30% of the nights a year at an average rate of 600 bucks instead of the thousand. But now the city comes along two weeks later and says, you can't do that. Well, guess what? When you go back and lease your property now to a regular old long-term tenant for 2,500 bucks a month, that's radically different cash flow than the potential 360,000 a year we were talking about at the onset of this. So sure. from a underwriting and, and, and uh, risk management standpoint, the unknowns about that are make it very difficult to qualify. Yeah, I was going to say, too, I live in a residential neighborhood where there, this guy was trying to do an Airbnb. Uh-huh. And I think the, the big scare for the neighbors is we don't know these people. We don't know who they're going to be, you know, what they're going to be doing at 3 o'clock in the morning, like you said. Sure. You know, they are on vacation. They're, oh, you we know, heard a horror but it's story. Like, but we're not, we're not in an area where, you know, there's hotels and motels. It's it's a residential neighborhood. Right. People don't want to have to deal with that. You're not geared up with that. Right. Well, and, you know, one of my friends that he lives in a, um, you know, a mountain resort down in Big Bear, and there's Airbnbs. All of his neighbors are Airbnb. Well, the Airbnb people that show up, unfortunately, yeah, they do things at weird hours and make Mm -hmm. some noise. You can kind of tolerate that. You know what else they've done? Mm. They've damaged his property. Yeah. They've stolen his firewood because they showed up and don't have firewood. Well, you know, you you live in the mountains and you heat, right. oftentimes you heat by wood. Yeah. Guess where that wood comes from? It comes from some hard summer work or you buy it for two, three, four hundred bucks a cord. Yeah. And so you don't want people just showing up and stealing your things. And then additionally, mm-hmm. they use too much trash. 
for the trash capacity of the property. Right. You know, they've got a single residential can. Mm-hmm. Well, eight people just, you know, ate and partied mm-hmm. and whatever for mm-hmm. three days in a row. So now they've stacked eight trash bags around the can that's right. overflowing. Mm-hmm. And then the critters come and tear it open. So now they're gone. Mm-hmm. And the owner's nowhere mm-hmm. around because these people are checking themselves in and out. And... You know, the cleaner comes up, cleans the inside, doesn't say anything about all the trash that's out mm-hmm. on the curb going all up and down the street. So it's just these things where that's a nuisance and mm-hmm. and you have to be able to manage that better. And so part of that, the city, county, local government getting involved is to say, hey, you know what? You need, you need to provide bigger trash receptacles. Right. In Big Bear, one of the things they've done is said, you know what? You need to be on site for check-in and check-out. Right. We're not going to let your tenants just come there and punch the code into the door and go inside and just have free run of whatever happens and then leave without us, right. anybody understanding how it all went. So those right. things are all things that we're figuring out. And from the lender perspective, there's just not a long enough history of this type of activity yet for them to be comfortable and know what to expect from it. There's that uncertainty that you were talking yeah, about. That's right. We've also heard some some kind of crazy stories um, from different, you know, from places, I, I want to say New York was one and some other places where you have yeah. squatter issues, right? Yeah, come on in for the, yeah, it happened in a penthouse flat in New York. This guy paid like 6000 bucks for a weekend to stay in this place in Manhattan. And then um, he didn't want to go. And then he's got tenant rights. But, he's you know, in, in those, in those cities in where there's he's, a lot of tenant protection, it yeah, becomes a big issue. He's there. <laughs> so now what? You made a deal. This guy moved in. He put his clothes in the top drawer. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and so now you're like, oh, hey, bud, you paid through Sunday. Checkout was at noon. And he's like, yeah, I really like it here. I'm not, I'm not going to. It turns out I'm just not ready to go. And so now what? <laughs> you know what your remedy is? You're gonna. You have legal remedy. You need to get you know involved. You got to do a pay or quit. That you got to do, you know. And maybe Sheriff's you don't even want them to pay. Yeah, crazy. they're doing an eviction, and the evictions can take yeah. you know six or nine months and cost a lot, a lot of money. So you talk about a property that oh, yeah, this place rents for three grand a night. Well, it turns out it rents for six grand for nine months, <laughs> <laughs> and then you had to spend fifteen thousand dollars on attorney fees to get this guy out of there. So that's a problem. The other thing I was going to say is that, and this this is the thing that concerns me a little bit more. In, I mean, it's all concerning, but but here's one of the things that affects a lot a lot of people, not just the neighbors or whatever. Um, every one of those properties where the the landlord says, "Oh, I got this lease with Dan, and he's a great tenant. He pays on time, everything. Two thousand bucks a month every month. That's and it's a good deal for us. This three bedroom, two bath house in Paso." But the Airbnb is four hundred bucks a night, so I only actually need to rent for five months, five five nights, nights in a month yeah. to equal what you pay me in a month. So, and what if I rent for six or seven? There's no way you're letting me raise your rent to twenty eight hundred bucks a month. And I don't, honestly, I don't even really feel good about that. That's I like you. <laughs> it's these overnighter people that I'm happy to overcharge. So. Every one of those properties that gets yanked off the market because the the owners are salivating over this opportunity of like, hey, in December or, you know, what what's prime? I would imagine prime wine tasting season out here is June, July, August, September, October, November, right? You get that 
wine tasting feels like a spring through fall activity, maybe you do rent for 20 nights a month during that whole period. So you write out your whole budget and you go, holy smokes, I was going to get 24 grand from Dan. I might just get 36 or 48 to do VRBO. So, okay, let's do it. Well, you know, we already have a housing problem here. We already have workers that are struggling to pay rent, you know, to find places to rent, to pay expensive rents for the jobs they have. So the the price is going up on them as this pressure against the VRBO and the existing rental inventory is being vacuumed out to be moved over into those short-term rental programs. So, And then it's only a matter of time before the local governments start to address that issue. They're going to have to. And, you know, and this was one of the things I did when, when I was in Hawaii last time. I did a bunch of research there because... I was on a a tour boat with a local guy. It was super cool. And we were just, you know, we'd tie. It was a Mai Tai cruise. So we're having Mai Tais (laughs) and we're just hanging out and cruising. And, um, you know, and so I'm asking him, as you can imagine. Those pineapple drinks. Was that it? Yeah, no. my ties got a little like rum, rum and, and yeah, okay. some juice of Fruit some juice. sort. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't they, taste they, a lot like liquor. They uh. stick it, yeah, that's the problem with those things too. It tastes like liquor when it's coming back up. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was asking this guy, you know, so what do you? How is it? What do you do? You hate tourists? I mean, we hear all these things, and he said, "No, me and my family all really depend on tourism," and. Um, we're thankful for the tourists and by and large, the tourists are all really cool. You know, they come over, they're respectful, they, they make our life possible. And he said the, um, but his extended family was not working in the tourism industry and was pretty upset about what had happened. And from his vantage point, what had happened is speculative real estate investment, second homes, vacation homes, the the Airbnb type of homes had so radically increased the cost of housing that these guys were having trouble just like that. I mean, and it's an island, so it's even worse. It's not like you can go, well, I mean, worst case scenario, you could be in Los Osos and commute. These guys are like, they're there. You know, they only have so many houses. You can count them. It's easy, and, <laughs> and it's hard to build new ones, right? So anyways, he just said it. It was getting to the point where it's out of control. And the way that they're dealing with it is that they're, you know, more and more people are sharing, having to share houses. And, you know, it's just like it's just kind of part of a way of the new way of life. And and that's difficult. And so it caused did cause a lot of resentment in some of his cousins and things like that. And it's like, well, I understand that. And um, and one of the things on Kauai they came up with, the government finally really had to get involved in it. And they came and they said, there's a couple parts of the island that are definitely tourism-based. That's where we will do VRBO. And you register, pay your permit, do your thing. Those places are already kind of super expensive, and so many of the locals don't live there anyway. So that can be your hotbed for all that activity. Go for it. You're going to pay your taxes. You're going to pay your fees. You're going to register. We're going to have all the rules about how you're going to do it. These other parts of the island... Rather than take away anybody's ability that may have already been doing it, they issued a finite amount of permits, almost in a retroactive kind of way, and then they capped it. So no more of those properties. They're not just going to keep turning into vacation rentals. If you 
want one, you're either going to buy a property that already has the permit or someone's going to surrender their permit and you'll be next up on the list to get it. And that's the way they've chosen to do it. And and you know what? I imagine because of how desirable that place is and and that type of problem probably really surfaces there first because of all of the characteristics. But I'll bet you most of these cities and counties aren't far behind that. You know, I mean, think of Paso Robles, for example, you that that perfect example of those long term tenants that they, they're not homeowners yet for whatever reason they need to rent. And it's usually because of affordability or savings. Um, you can't keep vacuuming out the housing stock that they rent from without at some point the the serious repercussions will be there. And then the other thing, too, I can't help but wonder is, what about the next recession, y'all? Remember when people couldn't go on vacation for a few years? Mm-hmm. Well, how about that? Oh, everybody scrambled and, you know, made their vacation rentals a long-term tenant or did, you know, a short sale or a foreclosure or whatever. I remember that. It wasn't that long ago. Well, today, everybody's back to going, you know, the... The needle only goes up. We're making money. We're, you know, the the everybody's pockets are full, so everyone's going to Hawaii. I mean, even Dan goes to Hawaii now. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what does happen when there's a little bit of a correction in, in the economy, the recession, you know, and, oh, that last one was so deep, I'm not ready for it again, but how many years away is it? You know, it's got to come where the unemployment rate starts going up and jobless claims are going up and property values are stable and maybe even beginning to soften in some places. I don't know when that's going to happen. And I'm not suggesting that it's in the next 12 or 24 or 36 months, but it's got to happen at some point, right? It's a part of the natural economy that we live in. So when that happens, how ready for that are you? And so these are all the thoughts that are going on from a lender perspective when, when trying to make a determination whether to lend on these properties or not. There's all these there's uncertainty over how local governments are going to handle it. Uncertainty over, you know, your ability, to your manage ability it. to manage it, and you know what what happens during those downtimes and those things. So the bottom line is, in lending, when we do encounter a property where there's Airbnb rental income and it's somewhat obvious, maybe from a cleaning fee or something like that. Is the bottom line that it is or is not eligible for financing? Or is it one of those things where some banks are okay with it and some are not? And that's one of those advantages that we have having multiple outlets for 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 loans. Don't you pin me down, Dan. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say about that. And I know we need to take a commercial break. But I, I want to just describe to you the situation where I think it will work. Okay? The situation where it will work, like in Cambria, for example, they've got permits out there. There's vacation rentals, and there are people that own a property in Cambria they have for a decade. It's managed through a property manager that's typically local, and generally my experience is that those owners live out of the area, and the property manager is responsible for you know taking care of the property and doing the whole thing. And when you look at those people's tax returns, so we understand that the local government's okay with it. We know that they're in compliance. They have a rich history of doing it. And the tax returns tell a pretty good story. Um, That's one where I think we could do it. Here's the other one. You got a guy that goes, well, my house is pretty well set up that the downstairs is basically like a second unit. So I do Airbnb on that. And I got people that come on the weekends. I've been doing it, 
you know, for 18 months. So it's on one year, my taxes and, you know, it's, it hasn't even been around that long. So how could you expect me to have it for longer? And you're going, okay, well, you're the guy then that no one's going to be comfortable with this. You know, you don't have the big history of it. You don't have the permit. You don't have the permit. It's in your own house. You know, all of these things. We're just not going to count the cash from that because there's no, there's not the history and there's not the, the uh, beyond a reasonable doubt that it's going to continue going forward. And I know I gave you two pretty cut and dry examples. The problem is stuff comes in in the gray area. Um, but those are the reasons why I'm stoked that we have approvals with like 40 different banks, 50 different banks. And I could get approved with any bank I want. I go find the one that says, oh, that's that's something we might take a look at versus the bank that goes, no way. We just we made a rule that we don't do VRBO. And by the way, those banks are out there. I get I get those updates all the time. They just, well, they just want you to know, don't even try sending that here. We don't even want to talk about that. And then there's the other banks that are going to be the more sensible ones that say, well, it's, is there a documented history and a likelihood of continuance? And is it stable, legal, in accordance with zoning? Is it being properly managed? If so... That's let's make the case for it. And we have investors that will do that, too. So there you go. Um, time for a commercial break. And Jim's hovering over the space bar that appears to be the launch for the break. So that's what it is. Now, right. Five. Four. <laughs> we'll be back in just a couple minutes here with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Loans. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-396-08. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328-358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
know what that that music bed is right there. Oh yeah. That's one of my favorite TV themes. Hawaii Five O. Hawaii Five O. Just rocks. Eh, I think it I does. don't know if rocks well, is how I would describe it. I don't know. I think what? it's going places <laughs> for like a, a bunch of woodwind instruments that are yeah. energetic. Awesome. I feel like I can. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you're right. Plus, it's recognizable Hawaii. It is. Yeah, people don't understand that. We had two football games over in Bakersfield, like I said. I think the first one was against Stockdale, and last night was Frontier. I don't remember the city part, but anyway, they both had these really impressive marching bands. Mm-hmm. Stockdale had a marching band of like, and a color guard of more than 200 people. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's good, actually. Hawaii Five O. Did you watch that show? Was that in your? Yeah, it's a little before my time. Yeah, I did it in reruns. I'm not real impressed with the current version. It's okay, but um, I like the original. um, Have you ever heard they uh, people call the cops a Five O after that show? Uh Yeah. So they're like, "Hey, there's a Five O over there." Uh Did you ever wonder what that was from? From Hawaii Five O. From Hawaii Five O, the Hawaiian yeah. cops. There it is. Yeah. But Hawaii was the fiftieth state into oh, the United States. Okay, I didn't even so put that, that was together. Hawaii Five O. I think was why they called that. So now you got yeah. the Five O thing is hung on okay. because of that. So I didn't even put that together. Some obscure Hawaiian trivia See, for you. Just you. gave me some trivia that I didn't know, Jason. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All I can say is that you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? Have you watched Moana yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've every day of my yeah. life I mean, for the last yeah, I have seen couple of months. People assume that's like a Hawaiian movie, but I think it's really more Polynesian than it is Hawaiian. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say Hawaiian. Tying it all together right there. Dude, the guy's name is Maui. Maui? In the movie. The, you know, the, the big... The dude with the hook? Yeah. yeah. His name's Maui. He's a is demigod. Moana, yeah. Is Moana Hawaiian? Well, Sounds, I mean, well, uh, Hawaii yeah. was settled by the Polynesians. They like mm-hmm. sailed and rode outriggers over from Polynesia to the Hawaiian Islands. So, yeah. just kind of what the whole movie of Moana is really about. Yeah. Well, all kinda. I know, all I, all I know is Dory is from Morro Bay. Right. That's right. <laughs> but there she's also got a really bad memory, so yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's there it is. Little Moro Bay Moral. plug on there. The, it is on the big screen. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this uh, thing on the internet the other day. It was like one of those picture memes, and it said, "You know, it was like two people texting." Said, "I'm watching this this crazy movie about this guy whose wife gets killed and his son gets kidnapped, and then he's like permanently maimed, and now he's missing, and so he's going out with this." mentally disabled woman to go find this his son on this crazy voyage and the wife is like that sounds crazy what's it called and he's like finding nemo (laughs) 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 yeah that's that's true my favorite thing at the shooting gallery and at the fair is like uh, the truck looks like um, mater (laughs) like mater from cars oh you notice that 
Have you ever yeah. seen the shooting gallery at the at the fair? I haven't yeah. paid attention. You need to you need to go because your kids are going to say. Oh, my son loves Mater. Mater. Yeah, the rusty Mater. old tow truck. Loves All it. right, it's <laughs> increasingly more difficult to get you guys on track, but I'm going to try here. <laughs> <laughs> hey Jim, have you seen our commercial yet? We have a TV I commercial. Have. I have seen your commercial. Yes, you did. Yes. When? Awesome. When and where? Wait. Well, aren't you a, somehow affiliated with a like a? Real estate show or something, or KVC, oh, or you're, KSBY. Um, you're probably actually, thinking about the open our, house directory. Yeah, but, we okay. uh, we have a commercial now. Do you have Charter at home? Charter. I do not. I okay, well, you're never going to see it. Yeah, then. never mind. That's the problem with TV advertising. Mm-hmm. Right. There's like, you have to, direct TV and Dish, I think you have to be like a Fortune 500 company to advertise with them. Because mm-hmm. it's <laughs> Is it really expensive? Well, I... I don't know how they break it up. I don't know if they break it up regionally or if you're just doing stuff. Well, I heard our nationally. the guy that handles our marketing, John, was talking about um, being able to do some advertising do with DirecTV soon. Yeah, but not yet. I think now it's like mm-hmm. you're either on DirecTV nationally or you're not. Yeah. But Charter, you know, obviously it's a regional um, type of thing. So it's not like with radio, if you can buy, you can buy KVC, but you can also buy all the other stations in the building and one package basically yeah uh, yeah yeah with so yeah we're on it's like it's a little bit different yeah, well yeah. anyway we have a new commercial that we've uh, we recorded actually three commercials that we're running on so only people that have charter would see it yeah. uh, but it's running on hgtv and a little bit of bravo right okay. uh, cool. it's hgtv diy and um etv because etv has a few of those why did i think it was bravo i don't know did we look it's at just that one of those because i do watch i think i misspoke it in a meeting but mm-hmm. etv's got million dollar listing and yeah. a couple of other little real estate mm. we're, we're going after all those real estate shows that people like to watch i watch uh i watch the diy once in a while yeah HDTV once in a while. Oh, we watch that a lot at my house. I'm in big into those like uh, Tiny House Nation. Although I'll tell you I what, I really love those shows. Yeah, Flipper Flop mm-hmm. and Texas um, Flip and Flop. I was just watching yeah, that last night. That's the one with the husband and wife, right? Fixer Upper is the Waco, Texas. Chip couple. and Joanna. Yeah. Okay, so we watch those shows, and and the other ones that we watch too are like. Um, buying Hawaii or what? I don't know all the names, right? They're, but they're, they're always on, but they're these ones were like um, house hunter type of things, but now they're doing them in specialized places. Yeah. And now you can look at buying your own island. These guys will take you <laughs> island shopping. Have right. you guys seen this? Yeah. Um, but anyway, those shows are crazy for me because I'm one of those guys. You like, I gotta know. I gotta know how it ends now. Yeah. <laughs> I watched like the I know. the first What's thirty the seconds of, of it. Oh man! I now I, I gotta know. know. And, <laughs> I or know. or same thing. You watch like the Chip and Joanna one where the people pick a house and now they're redoing the house. You got to see the final reveal. What's yeah, and like? then and I'm yeah. going. Well, that seems like a bold tile choice. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's uh, I just I don't know how this is going to shape up. And then at the end, you're like, uh, oh, you've done it again. <laughs> I watched this one last night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't. I can't not watch this. I'm I'm hooked. And then the other thing too. 
So I, I know I say this all the time. My three brothers are firefighters, right? Mm-hmm. Try watching like Backdraft with a firefighter. Oh, great. Right? Yeah. It's just like, oh, that, you would never do that. You know, you you would put your BA on and okay. It's a movie. Guys. Got it. <laughs> Got it. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's uh, same thing probably if you're an ER doctor, you probably can't watch Grey's Anatomy and believe half the stuff that's going on yeah. in there. But I watch these shows and I'm like, come on. Really? She just had a baby and is used to be a high-profile lawyer, had a baby, and now she's a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And then he just went from uh, you know, a high up at HP to self-employed in his own firm, and they're buying this $800,000 house. Like, you, Sorry, you can't qualify for a loan. You don't have two <laughs> years of employment history. And I know that. I know that. So I always wonder, I wonder if it's uh, private financing is probably how those shows work a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. They... There's something to it where they're they're getting some kind of deal done. I imagine that's how the property's acquired because a lot of on those rehab shows is the I property think, seems unlendable when it's all yeah. torn out. But at and some point, down. it has to be taken out into regular financing. <laughs> Maybe I mean, yeah. I watched a thing about um, those reality shows in general. Do you guys remember the people that had all those kids? The Oh, yeah. The Dugarts yeah. or whatever the they Duggards. were. Yeah, yeah. The Duggards. Yeah. yeah, the Duggards. 19 and counting or whatever. Yeah, and they were negotiating Seriously? their new contract with TLC for some ridiculous $100,000 an episode or something. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Anyway, I it made me kind of poke around a little bit because I watch, you know, I like I like Wicked Tuna and I also like the gold mining shows that are up in the Yukon and stuff and but I always wondered, like, well, obviously these guys are getting compensated because oh, why are. would you let a camera yeah. crew follow you around and yeah. bug the heck out of you? Yeah. Well, it turns out, like, on those shows, some of those guys are making, like, on Deadliest Catch, sure, they're getting, like, $30,000 an episode oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be followed around by the camera crew. Yeah, yeah. So then maybe, maybe really some of, those, some of those funds are being used back to help. Well, the House Hunters one, so a couple, I don't know, well, it's probably been, like, four or five years now. My mom did a teaching abroad thing in Thailand for a year. And so she got some family friends, you know, kids, a daughter of a family friend to house it. Basically, you get to live in my house for free. You take care of it and you get it for free. So that's a good trade off. Right. right? And so um, during the time that those uh, young, this young couple was living in my mom's house and taking care of it, they were saving all that money getting ready to buy their own home and so they found a home they bought it and then somehow they were contacted or their realtor was contacted through the house hunters program to profile them in their home search in the sacramento area and so they found them after they had already bought the house and then you know, made it look as if they were in the process of looking. And oh, they, stop. They had two other oh, houses, stop. and then they landed on the one they had actually had already bought. You're ruining this for me. So that's how that one worked. That's the only one that I have some inside knowledge of. There was a couple that bought up in the um, North County area. It was a similar one, and I happened to know that. And the funny thing was is that I could go back and look at the properties and when they were um, ultimately sold. And I mean, you never know when this stuff is airing anyway. I think when it when it did air, it was from like a year before, which was interesting because they were talking about a bank-owned market and how many short sales and things were available. And it had really already changed at that point anyway. But it was pretty evident in watching it that it was 
a house was already selected and then they were showing these alternative homes like to fill up the 20 minutes right. in the middle um so yeah those ones i think definitely are that way but i, I really like the remodel ones yeah, those are those the fun ones, are very ones. Interesting. um but yeah then the other funny thing about those shows like the remodel ones though is you know they're all right we're gonna we got the okay from the guy that this is not a load-bearing wall, so we're going to tear it out. And in the middle of tearing it out, they're like, "Whoops! well, shoot, the gas line <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> goes straight through this wall. So now here's your choices. We're going to reroute gonna... that gas line. They're like, that's going to cost an extra $200. <laughs> that blows the whole budget. I'm like, really? $200 blew your budget on the house? And you think <laughs> Maybe you, you move... shouldn't be buying the house. And you think you can move the sewer line to the other end of the property for 1000 bucks? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, there's those two things. Like they, get, they trip up over a couple hundred dollar change to the budget. Or it's like, we can replumb the whole house for three grand. i am like, in what state or world can you do that? That's that's an expensive job and that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. They're entertaining. A lot of people like to to watch them. I know we watch them at our house. And even and if so I know uh, you're not going to see a CCL commercial. I like that one uh, the guy in Las Vegas there and he's always ranting and raving about, you know, it's got to get done, it's got to get done. <laughs> I feel like saying, "Dude, how about you getting your star swinging the head sledgehammer then?" Yeah. Seriously. I know that guy you're talking yeah. about and he's like um always like having a meltdown yeah yeah everything's the biggest deal ever <laughs> oh man it's gonna blow yeah. the whole thing yeah, and he's, yeah. he's freaking out and you're like that guy is stressing me out yeah. could you imagine having to work with him where everything's just a significant overreaction right away yeah i know in but the that's part of the show obviously so. early on in my career in the loan business that happened to me where um something would happen and I would immediately begin like panicking, you know, obviously not freaking out and throwing things, but you're like, you know, you, the underwriter calls and says, Oh, I'm going to be suspending your loan because the income qualification is insufficient, you know? And you're like, heart stops. Oh my God. These people are in escrow. I I took all my time on it. I, you know, what am I going to do? It was a referral to me by so and so, and everyone like everyone's just going to freak out. And so the, you have this moment where you're just kind of the everything just getting horrible in your head. And the worst possible thing you could do is start telling people at that point, <laughs> "Hey, uh, the loan just got suspended, but I'm going to work on it." You know. But those are like the things that when you're kind of inexperienced or rookie those are some of the mistakes you made and then once you've been doing it for a while you begin to realize that hey most of these things are they you know the underwriters a make mistakes but b you usually you have a way of cobbling it back together if you can just stay calm and you know and worst thing is you go freak everybody out the buyer you know the seller the realtors and then and then you end up finding the fix the next morning you know so i i definitely i when i watch those shows and i watch those guys just going nuts over something i'm like oh man you sure are reacting cuz the guys <laughs> the guys freaking out right because the the garage appears to be built too close to the property line and now the garage is going to have to be torn down and that's going to add 10,000 dollars to the budget that wasn't there and he's just flipping mad and then they're like, oh, well, no, actually, the, the city guy came out, and with the engineer, they decided that it's fine. And I'm like, oh, good, we just spent the, the spot between those last two commercial breaks with this guy just 
losing his mind over something that proved to not even be a thing. <laughs> well played. Um, there's a man. Now we got like four minutes. I wanted to talk, you know, we got, we have a little bit of talk to have about the hurricane impact and those kind of things. Um, I, I cut some notes and thought that we could talk a little bit about, um, the funny, I cut these notes on Tuesday, um, about the sanctions on North Korea that hopefully would have (laughs) slowed down. Uh, Mr. Knucklehead over there from doing his crazy things. And then, of course, we learned yesterday that he fired another missile over the top of Japan. So that's not good. Um, but, you know, basically want to talk about how some of these things are affecting kind of the broader economy and then what we're we're seeing, how that translates over into the mortgage business. Um, and I feel like rates are... Uh, um, almost misbehaving a little bit. I think the stock market is even misbehaving a little bit. Um, maybe not taking enough uh, of these things serious. Um, did you notice already, though, increased price at the pump a little bit over the, um, probably just over the hurricane? Yeah, it's like 323 a gallon or something here. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I was really expecting that it was going to go up even more, you know, was so much of Texas and getting underwater. I mean, you got to imagine it's going to Yeah, but be- they're saying that really none of our refined gas comes from there because of the special thing for California. Yeah. Well, know. the Morro Bay Mobile has uh, <laughs> regular unleaded for two ninety nine. Really? Wow. Now, the Chevron on 41 in Maine believes their gas is worth 80 cents more a gallon. So you can go pay three seventy nine there if you'd like. That place is That's always really Friday. proud of their gas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they must just be feeding on people who are like, I can make it to Morro Bay. Yeah, <laughs> they're coming the- through the 41. <laughs> I bought gas one time in Santa, Santa we're almost uh, to the break, but, uh, Santa Barbara the other day, Goleta, actually. And it's set, and it's one of those fuel depot things where you know it's automated. And it says, all right, we get our gas from Chevron. Perfect. It, yeah. And so, like, you go down and then we the mark it up to, to Chevron. You. Yeah, no, no. Theirs was cheaper because oh. it's field depot. But you go down the street to the Chevron, guess what? 30, 40 cents more a gallon. Good times. Same gas, of course. You know what else <laughs> keeps some of those companies in business, though, Dan? Hmm. When I worked at Caltrans, I got to drive around one of the orange vehicles to go uh, do my things. You have like a Chevron card or something? Or a Shell card. Yeah. And like, you got to go to Shell. I'm like, of course I do. Because the Shell, everyone else in town's like 290 and the Shell's 369. But hey, this one's on the state. <laughs> I'm going I'm to fill up here. All right, guys, we got to do the top of the hour commercial break, which means we'll be out for about five minutes. Go get some more coffee. Do whatever you got to do. We'll be back for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We've got a lot of economic stuff to get through, so this next hour should be pretty fun and exciting. So uh, stick around. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
quite sure what he's saying, but it sounds cool anyway. Yeah, how do you know you're not getting in big trouble right now? Uh, well, he's not actually saying it. Here we go. Take a lighter, shake it up. Make a brother. It's good weather, I think. <laughs> there you go, sugar. Walking around the neighborhood. Yeah, the lyrics to this are pretty discernible for me. They always have been. Pretty much, yeah. But doesn't make it any less fun though that's a fun song i went to a concert one time down in southern california where def leppard was opening up for another band Mm -hmm. and i had zero expectations of enjoying it Mm -hmm. like at all Mm -hmm. and they were amazing oh yeah yeah def leppard totally yeah no they're awesome but you know sometimes life just the when your expectations are low you just are more impressed, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, because you're like, wow, who'd have thought? Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Hmm. Um, Kind of like, you know, the show is like, it leaves you amazed every time right. you listen to it. Right. Every Think, time. How could that even be entertaining? Right. And then you're completely fulfilled every time. I do get that a lot. <laughs> that's a, That's one of the funny things. People are like, man, when I heard you guys had a radio show, I just thought, how boring could that be? I mean, that just sounds awful. And then, right. <laughs> and then they're like, but I listened, and it was actually pretty good. And I'm like, yeah. well, thank you for that backhanded compliment. <laughs> That's, yeah. I hear that. Um, yeah. Two hours, of, two hours of mortgages, and I'm like, yeah? Doesn't everybody do a two-hour mortgage show? It sounds great to me. I was telling Dan yeah. a few weeks ago when I was driving to Southern California – um, I kept hearing these advertisements on the radio for different people that were talking about, um, listen on Saturday to this mortgage show. One of them is called the mortgage mom. Another mm. one was called a bunch the mortgage hour. And, um, but all these different companies that were doing these like mortgage talk shows. And I thought, man, I wonder if they were inspired by us. <laughs> I mean, I know we're not the first one, but, um, you guys are like gods. Every time I talk to somebody <laughs> like. That has anything to do with real estate or something like that. And I have this. Well, I produce the mortgage. Manager. You guys are like, what? Gods. You know, Dan and Jason? Really? Yeah. yeah. Seriously. I know every now and again, you know, it happens about once a month, but I get a client into my office. It's like, man, I feel like I need to get your autograph or something. And I'm like, well, how about I sign your loan application? <laughs> I always do right at the yeah. bottom of page four. There's a spot for my name. And I mean, I usually docu-sign them, but I can sign yours with a pen. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. See, there you got you mar- my, my mortgage. You know, you got my, you got my autograph. There it is. Two listeners I met with so far this month um in the slow office and uh mike uh, one of our loan processors mike that sits in the office right next to the office that i usually meet people in when i'm in slow heard me both of these people sending them away with no loan um the most recent one was a guy who we helped buy a house two and a half years ago he had a a four and a quarter uh a four and a quarter loan. He only put 10, he only had 10% to put down when he bought it. So he had mortgage insurance and stuff. And anyway, with his equity, 
and credit score and all these things. And um, it was basically like the good deal for him might have been four and an eighth. You know, it just wasn't enough savings in the deal. And so I was like, you know what, Richard, I think what you need to do is go challenge your mortgage insurance. I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about doing is trying to get rid of your mortgage insurance, which was like 250 bucks a month. And you definitely have the equity now, but just doing a new loan where I might, you know, the fees in the loan at the four and an eighth, the fees would have been 3000 bucks or 4,000 bucks given that loan amount. And uh, I'm like, I just, I'm not convinced that's the best thing to do. And so he's like, oh, that's why I come to you. You know, the fact that you just, you're, you're just always so honest. And so I said, well, you know, I appreciate you recognizing that, but yeah, I, I only want to do loans for people where it makes sense. And so, you know, he was thrilled. He left and has his homework of getting rid of his mortgage insurance. And, and by the way, I, I told him, I, you know, I'll help whatever that process is. Different banks do it different ways. So you're going to go through a process of probably needing to buy an appraisal and, you know, doing the challenge paperwork to make it go away. But um, that, I think, is really where the energy should be spent, not just doing a refi. And, uh, yeah, so anyways, I come out and he leaves and I'm, like, packing up to head back to the Atascadero office. And Mike is like, you know, that's two in a row where you take these radio guys and turn them away without doing a loan for them. Like pretty soon these guys are going to think that you don't actually do loans, that you're just a radio personality. (laughs) Oh, nonsense. But, uh, no, I really do. I pride myself in that though. If, if there's a, a deal where someone just is better off having, keeping what they have or, you know, maybe pursuing something a little bit different, not just doing a loan just for sake of doing a loan. One of the things for Richard was, you know, redoing the loan would also put him back into another 30 year term. And 25% of mortgage interest is paid in the first five years of having a loan. Mm -hmm. So really, in order to make some pretty good headway at paying your house off, because look, your house is appreciating, we hope. That'd be nice if it does that forever. One or two or 3% a year, I think would be really nice. That's what we want. We think that's a a good, healthy pace to always go up, but... um, you know, don't forget that paying your loan down is also how you're paying your house off and you're developing equity. And when you've been making payments on time for three years, you've paid a lot of interest, but you're just now getting to the point where you're starting to gain a little bit of steam with paying some principal. And um, over time, that that's where five, seven, nine years in, that's where you're making your greatest headway at paying yeah. your loan down rapidly. You know, we always spend time with our loan officers to understand that it's more than just the the difference in monthly payment or the cost of the loan. It's how much have you spent in interest so far? How much interest is left to pay on your loan versus how much interest would you have to pay on the new loan? Because that's really the cost of the loan is that interest cost. Yeah. And so if you're not making a significant dent in in the amount of interest that you're going to pay over the remainder of your loan, then doing a refinance doesn't necessarily make sense, even if you're lowering your payment. Now, if you have a cash flow issue, it's a different story. We weigh out those different life factors for you. And I think you always need to tell that borrower that is like, hey, look, you've had the loan you have today for five years. That's a good loan. You're making some real headway on it. And if we refi you into a... Maybe you're going to get a lower rate, right? We can get you from... Some of these people still have like a four and three quarters and they're going to come in and they're going to get a four. 
Okay, well, that savings, that interest savings from the four and three quarters of the four is like 250 bucks a month, maybe. And I'm just spitballing around numbers, but the d- interest difference is 250 bucks a month. The total savings would be like 450 bucks a month. Well, that's because you're running it back out over 30 years. Part of that is the fact that you're amortizing a lower loan balance now back over the original term. So you need to be able to isolate those and understand that. If you isolate that and you understand that and you choose that, good. I'm glad you recognize everything that's going into it. You know you're getting 30 years again and it's worth it for you because you're in a cash flow situation where that 400 bucks a month makes a big difference to you. I get that. But if the 400 bucks doesn't matter to you and you're um, not properly understanding the fact that going part of the savings is just that you're re-amortizing over a long period again, you could be, and this is the one of the problems I have with online loan officers, you know, companies that don't care about you. They don't want to take the time to do what's right for you. They just are like, oh, you want it? Yeah, you're going to save 400 bucks a month. Are you ready to apply? That's a substantial savings. That's $4,800 a year, which over 10 years is $48,000. Over, you know, the 30-year period, you're talking about saving 150000 bucks. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, hang on a minute. Okay, I understand your math and logic. That's good. Let's actually now have another conversation about what what all of that savings is and and is the 400 bucks the objective or is the objective to pay your house off because there's so many different ways once you start to understand what somebody's wants and desires are you know some of those conversations they call because they're going well I talked to Quicken and I'm going to save 400 bucks a month so what can you do you always tell me that you're really good so it's okay Let's talk about you. What are you doing? What's what's on the horizon? What are your financial goals? You know what? It turns out you make twelve thousand bucks a month. You're trying to get your mortgage payment from two thousand to sixteen hundred. How about we take it from two thousand to twenty five hundred, drop you into a fifteen year fix, and put you on a path of radical acceleration of paying this thing off? That interest rate's three and a quarter. And yes, your payment's going up a little bit. But this is a whole nother set of circumstances. And when, you, when you're looking at it like holistically, I need a little bit of time to understand what you're trying to do. What are your goals? Where do you see yourself in 10 or 15 years? There are so many different options. And I mean, you know, we do loans. I could give you a 29-year loan or a 17-year loan. You can do all these different terms, right? Um And any one of them might be right for somebody and wrong for somebody else. All of these things are very much a a custom-tailored conversation about what it is this person needs. Those are the things like when people say, well, Zillow's getting into the mortgage business now. Uh, Unfortunately for the people that do that business with Zillow, you're just going to get – this is my thing with the rocket mortgage too. Oh, get a rocket mortgage. You see the guy on the commercial like grabbing a loan at his kid's baseball game. I just got approved. Dude, did you just hoodwink yourself into a deal that – a, you don't understand. B, you you did you just missed all of that super valuable counsel. And then additionally, you know how much those commercials cost? <laughs> those the rocket mortgage is not cheaper. So all of that marketing and all that stuff that leads to the call to action where people are like, Well, yeah, I just you know, loans are hard and I just want to push the button. Okay. I get that. But, um, I mean, a, I can do that for you too. If you want to, if you want me, it's hard for me 
I'm not, I won't do any analysis on my side. I won't get into the weeds and try to figure out if you're making a good deal or not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to run your automated first to see if I can get you an appraisal waiver and save you that money and time. I'm not going to do any of those cool things that I do for all of my other clients because all you want is simple and fast. Um, and I just, I wish that that was, it's a reckless message. And I, I hate that that's like what the marketing is. Well, this is the lowest rate. We all troll the lowest rate. We put the, in the news and we do that too, because we have to, well, today the interest rate is X, you know, and that's the lowest rate. Well, unfortunately it fosters people calling different companies saying, Hey, well, what's your low rate today? Well, you know what? Oftentimes the low rate isn't even the best thing for you. And that conversation, that's a interesting one. I mean, people are probably listening right now going, wait, what? Who doesn't want the lowest rate? I give this example on the radio for sake of round numbers, but let's just say today you could do a three and three quarter 30 year fixed, or you could do a 4% 30 year fixed or a four and a quarter 30 year fixed. Three choices. What would you pick? And three most and of three the, quarters, please. Why? Okay, mm-hmm. and and I say that incredulously. Why? Okay, let's talk about the why. Because the four and a quarter I can do for you with zero closing costs. Your loan balance will not go up. You won't pay title and escrow. You won't pay appraisal. You won't pay underwriting. You won't pay credit report. There's a closing cost credit at four and a quarter that takes out all of the fees and. That's marketed as a no-cost refi. Um, Regulators take issue with that for good reason. You don't go market yourself as doing no-cost loans. People are, by the way. Um, Cash Call runs that ad all the time. There are no closing costs. This is a no-cost refi. Well, the cost is actually over time because the four-and-a-quarter interest rate is going to cost you $70 more per month which at the end of the year, at the end of five years, at the end of 10 years, that 70 bucks more a month is 7,000 bucks, right? If you end up having that loan for 30 years, doing that costs you 20 something thousand bucks, 30 something thousand bucks that it shouldn't have. Well, at 4%, the closing cost might only be 2,000 bucks, but you only save 35 bucks a month. And then, you know, at at the 3.75, yeah, you're saving the full 75 bucks a month. However, you're paying closing costs of five grand. So it's going to take you six or seven years to save that 75 bucks a month where you've recouped the actual cost. Now you're the winner for the remainder of the loan. But there are situations where we know you won't have that loan for seven years. And by the way, if break even is seven years, don't you want to have the loan for 10 or 12 or 15? Because the bank wins for the first seven years. If you sell the house or you refi or you, whatever happens, you prepaid that because you paid fees, they win. Well, here's some situations where people shouldn't do it. Um, Oftentimes we get people that come in and they say, okay, I'm, I'm buying a starter home and I know it. I'm buying a condo and my plan is to have it for three or five years. So uh, I don't want to pay a bunch of fees and, you know, I'm not going to ever make it up. So that person might want to do a no points loan or maybe even one of those no closing costs loan. Um, Or here's another one. We get guys that come over here um, for work. They come from 
You know, Mississippi got a job at Cal Poly, and they know they're going to be here for three years. That's the it's the deal, and then they're moving on. They want to own a house in the three years that you're here. Don't go pay five thousand bucks in closing costs if you're only going to make thirty six payments. That's a waste of money, and I can show you that mathematically. So going back to the original premise, it's unfortunate that people are trained up just to believe that the lowest interest rate is just the best thing. Well, what's the lowest rate you have today? Um, I want our listeners and our clients to understand there's a relationship between rate and cost, and if you can get a little bit of counsel on that and understand that, now you can make really informed decision about what's best for you. And um, now I get it. I'm This is different than the rocket mortgage. I'm asking you to, A, I'm asking our loan officers to have some good technical knowledge and ability to to walk these things through with, with buyers and, and borrowers where they need to be able to under, understand, explain, and do these things really clearly. I'm also asking a borrower to take some time to become educated and to invest themselves in the process because this half a million dollar house or $700,000 house, that's a huge investment, and it's a 30-year commitment. That's a that's more than a marriage for many people, you know? <coughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think a lot of those online companies where they're all, you know, the, the really the whole marketing gimmick is about speed and we can get it done fast and get you the low rate and you'll save 200 bucks a month. But it's not, necess- I mean, is saving like, I mean, you just went on a big rant, so I don't want to rehash it all. But, you know, you're, you're on target to pay your loan off in, you know, 2040. And if you redo it, then you're on target to pay your loan off in 2047. Right. And so does that delay your retirement? Is there really an interest savings or are you just extending out that loan term to get that, that monthly well, the savings? Other thing so I get- there's more analysis where, where you need, you need it to not necessarily be that fast. I mean, I'm not t- saying that we're taking weeks or months to consult you. It's still a fairly fast process, but it's just... Let's let's pump the brakes here really quickly. We're going to take an hour and we're going to talk about your situation and your goals. Right. And and once we understand that, then we can say, okay, yeah, getting that lowest rate is what makes the most sense. But if it's not, let's talk about some other options. You've here. heard these other ones that are on the TV and the radio right now about um, they're literally making the claim today that your cat, your house is an ATM. Have you heard those commercials? This is another thing that just burns me up. Um, you, these people, they're told like, why are you paying that high interest credit card? Why do you have that auto loan? You know, roll that into your home and save thousands. Yeah. Make your seven year auto loan a 30 year debt. (laughs) This is a basic, basic economic principle. Do not make short term debt, long term debt. When you take your, you know, we talk about this a lot, the hundred thousand dollar mortgage can be isolated down into about 500 bucks a month worth of payment. So therefore 500 bucks has the purchasing power of a hundred grand, right? Your auto loan might be 500 bucks. That's not uncommon. I see $500 auto loans. Well, that's a hundred thousand dollars purchase power on a house. And the 500 bucks is a lot of money. So then, but it's only a, that might only be, there might only be 15 or $20,000 left on it. So then you hear this ad on the radio that's like, pay off that auto loan. So $20,000 more on your 
mortgage is actually only going to raise the payment like a hundred bucks a month. It's not a big deal. However, the $20,000 auto loan, once it's rolled into a 30 year mortgage is making it almost 40 grand. Yeah. It's a (laughs) $36,000 loan over the 30 years. Whereas your seven year auto loan was only going to be, you know, your $20,000 debt was going to be $22,000. You're a really good car guy in terms of how long you'll drive a car. Um, I mean, you're just financially, you're just really conservative and making, I would argue, perfect financial decisions. How long have you had your current car? Um, uh, it's approaching 10 years, I think. And are you, is there any growing dissatisfaction? I are you ready? my truck. I have no plans to, to do anything with it. And I you're, it. and you're kind of abnormal, right? <laughs> sure. Because, well, I mean, just, or maybe I should say atypical, um, because look around, you know, uh, people in our peer group, um, Mike, that works for us. He's had a truck now for 10 years and you and him are kind of the only people I know that have had a truck for 10 years. Um, everybody else seems like they get a new car every two or three or four years. So my point is you go pay your car off with a simple refi. And yes, your mortgage payment went up a hundred bucks. The auto loan was 500 bucks, so now you've got more money to spend at McCarthy's on Saturday. Um, but you just made that a 30-year obligation, and you might be done with that car after four years. So you discard the car, trade it in, buy a new one, do whatever you're going to do. You're still paying the thirty-six grand for that $20,000 car, and now the car is long gone. So these kinds of things, when I see these ads on TV or I hear, you know, your house is your ATM, I'm like going, really? That of all of the regulations we have, there isn't one against that. Um, And I guess, I mean, and I know I'm talking out of both sides of my head because most of the time I'm a small government guy. You know, I... I was I wasn't going to bring this up today, but here I am. I read last night that the California legislator um, has outlawed. How do you say this duck liver thing that people uh, eat? Foie gras. Foie gras. Yeah, that's, that, that's a French thing. Yeah, it's watch well, how you say that on the radio. No. They, <laughs> they basically take young ducklings and stuff them full of food to get their livers to swell. Okay, and so it's you know viewed as animal cruelty. Sure, by and I get that. Groups. And it, so it was a it was an animal cruelty um, group that you know anti cruelty, I should say that that introduced it and was able to to jockey it through. And I mean, I don't have a dog in this fight. I, I love animals. Yes, I also am not a vegetarian. I eat animals. I understand the the interesting. Um, contradiction that that creates uh, i have some vegan friends that wear me out with like you know cows are so sweet and you you can love them and hug them and they've got feelings and they're not hamburgers i understand that's really complicated and stuff i'll just stick mm-hmm. in my lane over here doing home loans trees are beautiful too but we grow some for specifically for paper yeah <laughs> so anyways it's a complicated thing i get it but I was like, huh, our government's really spending time today on making sure that they're protecting these ducks that were hatched for their fat liver for your enjoyment. And I don't, I've never had that um, 
but we're not stopping these crazy advertisements where we were advocating for making your house an ATM, which is, I mean, you can look to that as a primary problem of the early 2000 mortgage crisis. A primary (laughs) objective of the government is to increase home ownership. I mean, we learned this back, you know, FDR, it it goes so far back. One of the reasons that the government's involved in all of these different loan, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, all these things, uh, we're a better country. I mean, let's break it down to the neighborhood just to understand this principle clearly. In your neighborhood, is your neighborhood best if it's all homeowners or all renters? It's yeah. clearly better as all homeowners because you're going to take some pride in it. You're going to keep it up. You're going to care about it. You're going to care what the curb appeals like. You're also in it. Yeah. yeah, well, and you're going to now that pride that you have in your your property, you also have that pride in your neighborhood. And now you're looking out for your neighbor, right? So then all these things become you now you've got things like neighborhood watch and different things where now the community is taking care of itself and it's just all these things are moving towards that initiative. So it's it's not hard to understand why at the end of the day increasing home ownership is a is an objective. Well, if you look at the other side of that, some of the other benefits are that home ownership is one of the ways that you can create wealth. And then and probably more importantly than creating that wealth is getting yourself in a position where at retirement you could potentially have no house payment if you get into this, you know, and, and I don't know how old are people anymore when they buy their first house? 30? Yeah. Some, some, some younger, some in the some mid twenties. Yeah, Fine. But I would bet that nationally the average is somewhere around 30 or 32. Yeah, I don't that's know. reasonable. Something like that. Yeah. So if you get a 30 year loan, then you are moving towards having that place paid off by the time you're 60. That sounds like a good time to retire, huh? Yeah. And so I just want everybody to to um, protect and defend that, you know? let's. We came away from that era of people were cashing out their house to buy whatever. You know what I mean? They bought a... A mobile home out at the river and then a a big expensive boat to put in it. And they didn't buy that with savings that they had. They bought that with cashing out their house, you know. So we came so far from that. And now it just it's it seems reckless to me that we have companies that are out there marketing on it. Your house is an ATM. Pay off those auto loans and those credit cards and, you know, consolidate all your debt. When people come to me for debt consolidation loan, you know, yeah, we do those, and um, sometimes it's perfectly necessary, but you can bet when that guy comes in and says, oh, okay, I want to pay off my car loan by refinancing my house, well, why? two things. <laughs> yeah, why? And you know what? Maybe you just made a, a bad decision on the car. You didn't actually need a $40,000 car, and you know, maybe really what you need to do is learn from that mistake and sell that car and buy a $20,000 car, you know, or, or understand that you've got, yeah, you've got four more years of kind of pain of slugging that payment because you're way better off mathematically to do that than to go make it long-term debt. Um, and by the way, I don't want people thinking that we're too judgy or something. And I tell these people this when they come into the office, if we get all the way down to the end of it and you still want to do it, 
I'm I'm not judging you, and I don't care. My job, though, is to make sure that you understand right. the ins and outs. We're not just going to flash the the low rate or the low payment at you without you understanding what it really means. That's yeah. really the point of it. And all. then you go, and then you look up from there, and you go, you know what? I understand that, and this is why um, I appreciate. And most of these people, they always appreciate the counsel. You know, that's good. Thank you so much. I need to do it anyway, and here's why. You know, I'm. I committed to paying $800 a month of my mom's assisted living bill as I'm splitting it with my brother. And the only way I can really swing this is to do that. So yeah, it's, there's a cost and I get it, but I'm going to have to do it. Hey, I get that. You know, we, things like that come up and we have to make those tough decisions, but sometimes it's not, you know, they're going, Whoa, thank you so much for opening my eyes to that. I'm going to go, um, I'm walking out of here and I'm going to deal with the car payment, not with my mortgage. And, you know, that's our, that's our job to facilitate honest dialogues about real consequences and outcomes. And that's what's missing from the online yeah. mortgage phenomenon. Rocket mortgage. Right. Where you lack all of the the counsel and all of the thoughtful considerations and, um, you know, well well-derived plans. We have a commercial break to do right here, and then we got uh, got some news to talk about. Yeah, man. We're just not getting there. We keep getting off topic with this loan stuff. I think this is some kind of mortgage show or something. I don't know about that, man. Boy, it keeps going and going. All right. Let's do it. Let's do a commercial break here. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960008. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
That's right. That's right. Working overtime doing this show, too, by the way. Are you working overtime? Well, I, you know, I know you guys are. That's for sure, right? Sure this, was a, this was a hard week yeah. this week. Yeah. I had like um, four 12-hour days this week. I mean, just like at work doing that. Uh-huh. And then... Additionally, like driving over to Bakersfield last night made that a really long day, and so then being here this morning, I'm I am really looking forward to Bakersfield last night. Wow! Yeah, getting home and wow. um, yeah, hmm. little extra rest needed. But there's the problem is when you that when you're out that much all week long. Yeah. Everything's backed up at the house. I yeah. got, I got a honeydew got, list like, as long. long as your arm. Here yeah, there's that. a lot to do. So yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what the day holds. So yeah, been, I was just gonna say we've been talking a lot on the threatening the refi slant here, oh, okay. and um, it's because we've seen a nice steady decline in interest rates over the past couple of months. Now it seems like. Um, and in watching that 10-year treasury yield, we've seen that treasury yield slip all the way. I mean, it's touched 2 point, you know, basically 2%. It looks like the low was last week. September 8th appears to be the low point. Um, and since then, the la- this l- last work week here, um, it's steadily increased every day. To 220. Back, back up to about 2.2%. From two, so, and there's a lot of talk even on CNBC that we could see this treasury yield go below two percent. Yeah, and you know the thing that I found interesting about that is when it was down around that two percent level. I mean, let's kind of do the. Do you have the an audio cue for the rewinding thing where it's like <laughs> we go all the way back? What we had was um, number one, still. Freaked out a bit about what's been going on over there with North Korea mm-hmm. and these continued missile tests. We had Irma coming in looking, I mean, just unbelievably devastating. And I I hate to even talk about this because it makes it sound as though it wasn't. But when we were talking about the the length and... and um, devastation that could be caused by a category five hurricane um, running through basically that whole southern seaboard all through the Gulf. And then don't forget about Harvey, right? That's the other wiping Florida off. And then Harvey was right behind it. And then Jose was right behind that. And so you're looking at this thing going, holy smokes. And so one of the reasons that over the course of the last week, things the, this 10-year bond yield went up is now we got to talk a little bit about the bond yield again for the people that are like, I don't understand the relationship between all these things. Well, the bond yield goes ups and up and down based on um, oftentimes I think of it in terms of like growth potential or safety. When things look good and there's not a lot of threat both in you know political, geopolitical, economic, 
environmental. There's not really, you're not staring down the barrel of a real problem. That's where the money moves out of the bond market, moves over into other, you know, higher producing investments. Um, so you'll see the bond yield goes up a little bit as people lose interest in it. So it attempts to pay a little bit more to say, hey, guys, over here, we're still a good investment. You don't have to, you don't have to go uh, all into the stock market. I'll pay you a little bit more now because things are good and there's, you know, right. there's low risk. Well, to the other side of the spectrum. So now you've got, well, you got this knucklehead over here shooting off, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles that he says are packed with nuke warheads or potential Could to have a, yeah. a, a atomic bomb attached to them. All these EMB, we've been reading about these, is it EMB? I'm not up to date on all my crazy war weapons, mm. but some electromagnetic pulse, yeah, EMP that could supposedly detonate over the U.S. and destroy every economic or every electronic device in the entire nation. Like the Wow, that is an incredibly scary thing. And they say he's got this technology, right? So anyhow, when those things come up, hey, guys, bummer, there's a hurricane coming that could kill hundreds or thousands. It's going to decimate businesses and total economies. It's going to flood all of these city. states, yeah. Well, and then all the way across, <laughs> even Florida. Yeah. You know, it, those things would usually go. Holy smokes, we've got real things to worry about. Money should be rushing into the bond market, which would then mean you could lower those yields. Hey, you all want the safe haven of buying the non-risky bond? We're not going to pay you good yields when you're being forced here because of bad news out in the market. And that's what we saw. That's what we saw. And now, so now, again, going back one week, we went from 2% basically to 2.2. Putting that into context, that's pretty big movement in a week. Um, So they said, well, the hurricane wasn't as bad as we thought it was. And I'm like, it looked pretty bad to me. A lot of people did lose their lives. There was some of the islands were completely washed clean and will be without power for six months or more. Um, the flooding in and around Texas and, you know, then also in Florida, Florida, that's crazy. It's already estimated that those, um, but I guess, so it's not as bad as it could have been. Um, but it's estimated that the damages there are North of $200 billion worth of damage. Um, you start thinking about what that means. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. It means number one, it's going to put a drain on GDP. Um, you're those parts of the country that are underproducing in the, in the long run, it's going to come out. Okay. In the short term, there's business and unemployment and things that are going to be impacted by this, that, that we're going to understand the repercussions from in the long term. Yeah, it creates some jobs, right? Also creates some consumer spending. They're going to have to buy new drywall and, you know, all of the things they're going to have to buy. And I imagine if you're a contractor in Oklahoma, you're probably considering how are you going to get down to Texas to be able to go join a crew where the work's going to be abundant for the next couple years. Um, But so anyhow, um, it's interesting to me. The other thing that happened, by the way, in terms of this North Korea deal um, and, and this is where I think the bond moved the most. They had Founders Day over last weekend. That's North Korea's like, you know, Founders Day is their national holiday. And this is usually when they like to flash their arsenal and do something really stupid like shoot a missile. Um, 
our country sent a pretty clear message. I mean, the week leading up to it, we were saying, I mean, our president tweeted out and, and sent, you know, through various forms of media, basically a statement that just said, we're considering cutting off any country that does business with North Korea. Like, basically, you're going to be drawing up sides because you're either funding this terrorist and you two can go get in bed together and be done with us, or you're going to cut them off and stay out here with the rest of the world. And, you know, there was even a couple days talk like with China, what would happen because China was trading with North Korea. So we cut off all relations with China. What would that do? Um, first of all, we'd probably lose like 90% of what's on the shelves in our stores, but uh, that's another conversation. Um, so anyway, those were getting the bond yields really low. This dude's kind of being a freak out. Then at the same time, the UN comes out and passes Sanctions. Um, sanctions against yeah. North Korea. And the sanctions were probably, you know, largely what you would expect. It it stopped some some oil and crude imports. It stopped some textile exports. It stopped a couple of other economic things. It didn't go on to freeze the country's assets or Kim Jong-un's assets. He has assets outside of North Korea that would be pretty easy to, to freeze. Um, and by the way, a lot of the U.S. Um, did want those assets frozen until this was resolved, but that was not passed by the UN. So Founders Day, we did some sanctions. Founders Day came and went. No missile took off, said, hey, maybe we're actually now by way of the wallet, we're going to freak this big dummy out and he'll he'll change course. Well, we found out uh, just a couple days ago that he shot another missile uh, over Japan that landed in the water out there. And um, this was, of course, after the U.N. sanctions. Um, and so to me, I'm thinking, and and we learned this stuff on Thursday. So I was thinking the bond yield on Thursday would fall. And then on Friday, it probably should go all the way back to two. Um, these things are scary things, creates a lot of uncertainty. And you would think the money would move straight back over to the bond market. And it didn't yesterday. Um, it was essentially flat and stayed at 2.2. So our financial markets aren't taking that threat quite so serious. Well, um, in the bond market, too, you have to remember that next week we have Fed meeting. This is a right. September meeting where for a long time, you know, particularly in the beginning of the year, September, we were viewed as potentially having four rate hikes this year, with one of them being in September. There's still that potential, although I think... Most people believe it's not going to happen. But still, whenever you come up on a Fed meeting where there's potential for a rate hike, you see a little bit of hedging, if you will, just in case yeah. that that move does come somewhat unexpectedly. Yeah. So I think that's really what's keeping it where it and is. And part of this Fed meeting that's coming this week, too, is we're expecting to get some more of the details about how they're going to unwind the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And so with those details, I think has the, the bond market... Um, just kind of trying to hold pat right where it is, where it can wait and see what happens. And I get that. Um, in terms of the odds of a rate hike, from what I can tell, um, there's almost no chance of a rate hike for the September meeting. It doesn't mean it's not possible. The Fed's surprised us before. Um, I also see that the chance of a December rate hike uh, are – about 50% right now hmm. and and most recently improved from 40 to 50%. So uh, many believe that a December rate hike was even off the table a month ago. And now we're starting to, to see that we've crested the 50% mark. So we could actually see that. Something else that happened this week is that consumer prices, um, the CPI, the consumer price index came out um, 
for uh, plus 0.4 percent and and plus 0.2 percent core. Both those numbers stronger than expected. Part of the reason the consumer price index is up because the um, the gasoline cost is uh, the gas index was up like 6.3 percent. So the increased cost of gasoline is going to lift the cost of um, consumer prices a little bit. Um, but altogether, though, the CPI report showed us that there's a year-over-year increase um, that's getting pretty close to the Fed's target inflation of 2% on the year-over-year. So that then means that that the Fed has been long wanting to see us get to that 2% target inflation rate. And the fact that we're getting closer just means that the, that our Fed, the committee, when it meets this week, is going to consider much more carefully uh, the prospect of another rate hike, be it here in September or in the December meeting. And I think also you don't want to have the bonds and rates down going into the week that the Feds do decide to throw a quarter up because then you'd right. have a really knee-jerk reaction, which could kind of shock the market. So I think a little bit of this is, again, just sort of that that padding where you're going, it's unlikely that we're going to get a rate hike, but if we do, we don't want to be a half a point off, right? So I feel like this bond market really does want to be at about 2%, and it's um, it's got this 2.2%, which is perhaps a little bit just cautionary high, waiting to see what happens this week. And if the feds don't raise rates at this September meeting and the announcement of how they unwind the balance sheet is relatively straightforward and what we're expecting. I mean, and really what we're expecting, what economists, and we've talked about this for a couple years now on the show, what we're expecting is they just will begin to either slow or stop the reinvestment of when those securities are paying off or those treasuries are maturing. They don't go buy the instrument again. They let that money just sort of go back into the general fund and the and those mortgage backed securities and treasury holders just begin to 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 shrink down or atrophy a little just over time. So if that's what happens, they don't hike rates, the path is clear and simple on how to unwind. I suspect by the end of the week we could see a bond yield back to that two percent level because we have a nice run between now and December where and things are pretty predictable. We could see how Hurricane Irma ultimately affects GDP and the economy. Um, we could we could find our way down to that point um, in a in a less volatile environment. That's what yeah. I'm expecting. So we'll see. Next week we can talk about if we were on <laughs> on point with this or well off again. Um, Another thing that happened this week that I think also is interesting is that Fed Reserve Vice Chair Stanley Fisher tendered his resignation um, mid-October, so now really probably one month away. So he's going to be vice chair for this meeting, and and then you know a few more weeks before he's out. Um, his term was set to expire in June of 2018, so less than a year remaining there anyway. But one of the interesting things is it means that President Trump now has four vacancies to fill on the Federal Reserve Board, which is not counting um, current chair Janet Yellen. Um, how this impacts monetary policy, your guess is as good as mine, brother. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, 
One thing we do know is that the president says that he likes low interest rates. And so does that mean that some of the appointments that might be made could be five seats total um, in the next year and a half here? Um, if they all additionally, if he's picking people that favor low interest rates, um, then you know perhaps that does have some impact on uh, monetary policy and could really uh, – make a make a real splash um gary Cohn is currently the odds favorite to replace janet yellen and uh he's a banker and i got to imagine Probably that these higher interest rates <laughs> yeah i mean i i think you can make the argument either way and i was going to yeah. suggest i think he might even like the low interest rates on account of um it gives you the opportunity to have the consumer spending money and 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 not afraid to rack up debt sure. and do these kinds of things um Higher interest rates mean that they're going to pay higher premiums and then and you encourages know, savings. and encourage savings. And then I, 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 in terms of a bank, a deposit is actually a liability. It's something that they owe somebody, right? Their assets are actually outstanding debt of their um, any of their customers because those are the things that are they can demand that are charging the interest income that they're deserving for having made the loan. So it's an interesting way of thinking about it, but that's that's how those things are actually factored. And so um, anyway, all of those things, of course, are affecting the bond market. Lastly, I wanted to spend a couple minutes here talking about this Equifax debacle. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt you saw this. Equifax had a data breach um, of 143 million customers in the U.S. The data breach... Uh, was the uh, your and my um, address, social security number, driver's license number. In some cases, um, even more, we found that some of these records contain all of the rest of the critical information for somebody to completely steal your identity. And so, um, first of all, if you make your way, and by the way... At least it's only half the U.S. population. Okay, you that's said a, that's a terrible joke. It's a terrible yeah, that's joke. A huge number. However, of um, it's half almost in general, but it's half of those of us that have credit and you know social security numbers. All imagine how much of the population is less than eighteen. They're not in this system. So by the time you take those out, for all of us that are using credit, it probably makes up more than half of us. It's probably um, every adult. So that being yeah. said. EquifaxSecurity2017.com has a link where you can check and see if your name and social security number is one of the uh, numbers that were compromised. Um, did and you so, do it yet? No, I have not. But what do you do if you find out that you are? They're offering people? a free credit monitoring um, right now where you can uh, freeze your profile. And, uh, you know, anyways, I'm. We don't have enough time to to properly develop this topic, but what I am encouraging you guys to do, go onto the website, EquifaxSecurity2017.com. Find out if you're on the list. If you and you are, put something on Facebook. I did. This, right? It's on our company Facebook site. I put a link right to it. Um, and by the way, make sure you're going to the right site. You, the last thing you want to do is go put your name and part of your social security number into right. one of the other sites that's harvesting this. But um, get to the right site, see if you're on the list. If you are, there's plenty of stuff to read about what protections are in place for you right now. And I would urge everybody to do, to, uh, to do this because again, it's, it's one in two Americans that seem to be impacted by this. 
Um, and then lastly, you guys, uh, if you have any loan needs whatsoever, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help. Um, hopefully we struck a chord with you in the show as we're talking about our honest and ethical approach of putting your needs first in our business. It's the way that we run Central Coast Lending. If that appeals to you and you want to do that instead of a rocket loan, um, give us a call at 543-LOAN or check us out at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great week. We'll be back next week.